0: Welcome to Douglas Wilson's The Podcast, presented by Canon Press. Yes, God. God don't never Welcome to the podcast. Uh, my name is Douglas Wilson. Uh, this is episode 230, 230 in the podcast. Here we are. So what I want to talk about today is uh, why censorship matters. Why censorship matters. In order to reason properly in the world, about the world, you need two things. You need to know the laws of right reason. You need to know that it's inappropriate to argue that wet streets cause rain. No, it goes the other way. Rain causes wet streets. You need to understand the structure of logic. And you need to understand the structure of logic when it comes to things like P's and Q's. So if you argue if P, then Q, P, therefore Q, that is valid. Now, validity means that if the things that you fill up the P's and Q's with are true, then the conclusion will necessarily be true. The structure is solid. The structure of the argument is sound. Okay? But if the premises are false, then the conclusion uh, could well be false. If I said all dogs are space aliens, all dogs are space aliens, that if P, then Q. Fido here is a dog, P. Therefore, Fido is a space alien. Well, that That conclusion is necessarily true if the premise is true. If the premise is true that all dogs are space aliens, then it follows that Fido here is also a space alien. That's it's structurally sound. That's one thing that you need. You need to know how to reason structurally. You also need to know that if P, then Q, Q, therefore P, is an invalid form of reasoning. If I study hard, then I will pass this test. I passed this test. Therefore, I must have studied hard. No, there are other reasons you may have passed the test. It may have been blind luck. You may have bribed the teacher. You may have gotten through some other way, right? It doesn't follow. That that error is called affirming the consequent. If P, then Q. Q. Q is the consequent. You affirm the consequent. Therefore, P. Well, no, that's not necessarily true, given the structure. If If the premises are true, the conclusion isn't necessarily true because of that. Right? So you need to know how the structure of reasoning works. But in order to function in the world, you also need to have your premises be veridical. Your, your premises have to be true. And if you live in a world where people simply censor those things they disagree with and they say, well, that's misinformation. Then what's going to happen is you're you are being kept away from the truth. What's actually what's actually happening on the ground. So, uh, which means that you don't have any. You, let's say you've studied logic and you've studied how to reason capably, but you don't have any grist for that mill to grind. You you don't have any um, wheat for your flour mill of logic to grind into flour. And what happens is in a free market discussion in in a free speech forum, somebody says X, Y, Z. Somebody else says, no, that's not true because of A, B, and C. And someone else says, you've left out M, N, O, and P. And so you have this um, marketplace of ideas where debate occurs. And someone who, with an open mind can sit there and watch and observe and see who is reasoning with structural validity and can see truth claims countered with, no, 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 not so fast. I don't, so-and-so didn't have a heart attack, you know, whatever the argument was. He, he, or he did have a heart attack. He wasn't killed by the cops or he wasn't killed by the protesters or, you know, that sort of thing. When, when the Canadian cops trampled that woman with their horses, it was a day or two before we could find out what happened to her. There was a rumor that she had died. Turns out that she hadn't died. But that was, that's a good example of, I don't know how to fill out my argument here, because uh, we live in a climate where uh, this sort of thing is tolerated. Uh, just this morning, I went and looked at my, I did a blog post about that uh, trampling incident, or that included that trampling incident, and I had video of the video clip of the trampling that occurred. And I I went and was looking at other blog posts for some other reason. I wanted to check on a quote. And, uh, oh, somebody removed my uh, posting of that video because they didn't want you to see it. Now, all of this means that if I come into a a rip-roaring debate that is happening about anything, and I just got here from Mars, I just arrived. So I want to be judicious and fair. I want to say, if, if this if these people over on the left have a good case, I want to listen to them. The people over on the right have a good case. I want to listen to them. I want to sort through it. I want to make up my own mind because I want to be conscientious about the things that I adopt, the things that I believe. Now, if I entered into our public policy debates today, I'm going to have a bunch of information withheld from me. And, and that means I'm not going to be able to weigh all the different sides because all the different sides are not engaging in a debate. So, I won't know all the different sides. Proverbs 18.17 says, one person's case seems real reasonable until you hear the other side. That's why we should want to hear both sides. We should want to hear everybody out. But if I step into a current debate today, I don't know which side has the best argument or the best command of the facts. I do know which side is censoring. I do know which side is keeping that information away from me, and consequently, that forces us into the position of saying, uh, just like the minister had, had written in the uh, uh, margin of his notes, argument weak, shout here, in very much the similar spirit, the progressive left is saying, argument weak, censor here. So, I think a good operating assumption for everybody is to say, find the side that censors, Find the side that censors, and you're probably looking at the side that lies. This is why censorship matters. Always, we, we are continuing on with the podcast, episode 230, and we are com- we've come now to our little hamartiology segment. There's a certain kind of scorn or vitriol that is an exclusive characteristic of the ungodly. Their mouths are full of cursing. And bitterness, and malice. So we're continuing our study of sins in the New Testament, Hamartiology 101. And so why not this one? The word is ekmukterizo, and it means to deride. So it's e k m u k t e r i d z o. So there are two uses of this word in the New Testament. The first reference to this kind of derision is describing the response of the Pharisees to conviction of sin. The Pharisees were a respectable bunch, and so they went in for respectable sins, like covetousness. There are certain things that you don't get to talk about or boast about at church. There are certain sins, like haunting opium dens or radical sleeping around or drunk, you know, falling down drunk. Those are disreputable sins. But there are certain kinds of sins, like covetousness, that put you in a position of being a big tither, and uh, maybe a sponsor of a new wing on the church, and maybe a slot on the elder board. Right? These are respectable sins like covetousness. Uh, the Pharisees loved their money, and so when Jesus said that a man cannot serve both God and Mammon, they responded accordingly. In Luke sixteen fourteen, it says, "And the Pharisees also, who were covetous, heard all these things, and they derided him." So when someone, when the when a preacher gets a little bit too close to home. When he leaves off preaching, and as the joke goes, he leaves off preaching and he gets to meddling. Uh, one of the defense mechanisms that people who are under conviction of sin have is that of derision. They they pour out scorn on this uh, this enthusiast, this hedge preacher, this revivalist. They derided him. The second use of the word refers to their overall hatred and envy of Christ. They vented their bile when Jesus was hanging on the cross, using the same word. And the people stood beholding, and the rulers also with them derided him. There it is. And the rulers also with them derided him, saying, "He saved others; let him save himself. If he be the Christ, the chosen of God." So what they're doing is that, um, you know, when Jesus was um, tried, it's really striking because they were they had multiple witnesses come. And testify against Jesus, but they couldn't get their testimony to agree. It says, which means that the testimony was so bad. This 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 trial was happening in the middle of the night. Remember, in the early part of the trial, the um, people trying Jesus were trying to keep up appearances. This is a fair and judicious process. This is not a hate fest. We are trying Jesus because these these um, charges are very serious indeed. And so they they were trying to keep up appearances. So when the witnesses didn't agree, they didn't convict him. And so finally, the high priest asks Jesus, "Are you the son of Are you the son of God?" And Jesus says, "I am, and you will see the Son of Man coming in the clouds of heaven." The high priest tears his robes and says, "You've heard the blasphemy. Uh, what further need is there of witnesses? We've got them now." But the thing that's striking about it is they were trying to keep up appearances up to that point, but then. When they came point of the conviction, they couldn't contain the vitriol anymore. And they started, you know, striking at him, attacking him, and here deriding him. They came out to the cross to see him crucified, and all the bile pours out. It all comes out. So, continuing on with... The podcast episode two thirty. Uh, this this book that I read. It's, it's a small small book, and it's available. I got it online somehow. So the book is "Has God Indeed Said?" Has God Indeed Said? And it's by Kaiser K A Y S E R and Pickering. Has God Indeed Said? Uh, this is a good little book that's an intro to people who are confused about the textual issues. If you've followed the ministry here for a while, you are aware that I preach out of the King James Version of the Bible, and I've written various things in various places defending my use of the Textus Receptus. Now, there are two large families of the uh, New Testament text. One is the it's called the Byzantine text type, and the other is the Alexandrian text type. Now, if you counted up all the manuscripts, overwhelmingly, the majority manuscripts are of the Byzantine type, and the Byzantine text type is what the King James, New King James, is based on. The Alexandrian text type is what most modern translations, ESV, NASB, NIV, and so on, are based on. Now, overwhelmingly, If it were a simple matter of counting, the Byzantine text type is greatly in the majority. But the Alexandrian text type has the two earliest full New Testaments that by about a hundred years. So, these two codices are Codex Vaticanus and Codex Sinaiticus. And uh, so, one of them was found in the Vatican Library. And what a library... (laughs) <laughs> that that must be right. Hey, look, we've got a scroll. here. We've got a codex here from the 300s. Hasn't been checked out in a while, right? So you've got Codex Vaticanus and then Codex Sinaiticus. Codex Sinaiticus was found in a burn pile in the 19th century. It was in the burn pile of a of a monastery, and uh, and salvaged from there. So those are the two earliest complete New Testament manuscripts. But they are still 300 years after the autographs. They're still 300 years uh, after the time of Christ. So, I prefer the Byzantine text type. The Textus Receptus, which is the particular form of the Byzantine text type that the King James Version was based on, has been my preferred text. But there isn't, this is uh, naturally, Christians continue to debate this, where there's a school of thought called the majority text. These people argue for the superiority of the Byzantine text type, but they don't necessarily go with the TR. All right, so there's about, and just to give you a sense of perspective, on the Alexandrian side, there are variations, textual variations, over 3,000 textual variations in the Gospels alone. Between Sinaiticus and Vaticanus, okay, and a number of these things are indicators of real sloppiness, and I just I don't know why people think that those are the most reliable, simply because they're a hundred years earlier, but still three hundred years after the apostles. But on the Byzantine side, there's still a debate, and this uh, this little booklet has God indeed said by Kaiser and Pickering is written by advocates of the majority text. They would say to the KJV guys, and I think they're largely debating with King James only. So the King James only group is sort of arch fundamentalists, the kind of people who would say that I use the King James because if it was good enough for the Apostle Paul, it's good enough for me. That kind of uh, lack of learning goes into. Uh, so I'm not a I'm not a KJV only guy, but I do rely on the Textus Receptus. These guys are critical of the textus receptus within this it's an intramural debate. They would say well done you guys, you TR guys. Well done in not following the Alexandrian text type, but we still have some work to do. We still can we can close in on what the original of the New Testament was by a close study of the majority text type. Right? You with me? So these guys are arguing for the majority and they would say that a close study of the majority text will give you about 1,800 variations where they prefer the majority reading to the textus receptus reading. If you are interested in getting acquainted with all of these issues, this is a very accessible, very um, good introduction to the issues. And I think it's written in a very fair minded way Has God Indeed Said by Kaiser and Pickering. <music> If you enjoyed this episode, check out Doug's page on Canon+. There you can listen to his audiobooks, watch his sermons, and more. Just click the link in the show notes and start listening today.